are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, we continue looking at uh, the book of Titus. It's been a little bit since we've looked at Titus, but we resume our exposition of the book of Titus this evening. So turn with me. If you have your copies of God's Word to Titus chapter 1, if you have a pew Bible, it's on page 998. This short little book of three chapters is Paul's instruction to a fellow minister of the gospel who Paul left on the island of Crete to minister there to, to the church there. He's encouraging Titus to be faithful in his ministry against the pressures of the culture around them. We've so far looked at the first three verses, which was simply Paul's introducing introducing himself and his ministry to Titus, but also to all the churches there to remind them of his apostolic authority. And the instructions that he's given Titus are from an apostle. And so they should take Titus's ministry seriously. Paul is reminding them that his goal is to build them up in the faith as they grow in the knowledge of the truth, leading them to godly living. And he's showing us to cling to the promises of God that eternal life is ours when we trust in Christ. And he's preaching the same message over and over wherever he's going. That is his apostolic mission, to proclaim Jesus Christ. And so we turn to verses four and five this evening where we turn to Titus and his ministry that he will be doing in Crete. Let's read now God's word. We'll we'll begin at verse one and read through verse five knowing our sermon this evening will come from verses four and five. So hear now the word of the Lord from Titus chapter one, beginning in verse one. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Serving Christ is a joyful task. What better is there to do than seek the spiritual well-being of somebody else, to walk with them through a difficult time, to encourage them, maybe to teach children of Christ's love for us to hold the hand of a dying loved one as you read scripture and pray with them. There is great joy in serving Christ. And I think in our passage this evening, in these two short verses, we get a glimpse into the joy, particularly of pastoral ministry. We get to look at the joy of serving Christ in this way. We see Paul's love for Titus, his resting in Christ's work, his zeal for bringing order to the Cretan churches. There's a joy here that Paul has, a joy that he's trying to instill into 
Titus. But I think there's also a broader application. We will be speaking of pastoral ministry as these directions are are, are explicitly calling Titus to that kind of work. But there's also a broader application beyond just ordained ministry. Because all Christians are called to this general office of believer, of a Christian, called to serve one another, to represent Christ to the world, to bear witness to Christ in all that we do. So in a sense, we're all in the general sense, ministers of Christ. And we'll see how we can make application to that as we go through. But this is not just a book for ministers. It's a book for all of God's people. We see in Christ, Christian ministry is a joyful task. And I think Paul highlights for us three joyful aspects of ministry. The first is the joyful fellowship of ministry. The second is the joyful ground of ministry. And third is the joyful work of ministry. So the fellowship in the ground and the work is what we'll consider this evening. So first, let's look at the joyful fellowship of ministry. And this comes from that simple greeting to Titus, beginning of verse four. It says, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. This is the first time, according to this Hellenistic structure of writing letters, the first time the recipient of the letter is mentioned. In this structure, the the sender of the letter, the author of the letter identifies himself first, and then he identifies the recipient. And so here we come, identifying the recipient is Titus. Titus is an interesting character because he's actually not mentioned in Acts, the book we often go to to see what happened in the early church in in this first generation. He was mentioned, though, by Paul many times in his other writings, in in his letters, and most prominently he's mentioned in 2 Corinthians. And there in 2 Corinthians, we see that Titus is a huge encouragement to Paul. Paul calls him a brother. He's described, Titus is described as having joy that's bringing comfort to Paul and the churches. Titus is called a partner and a fellow worker of Paul. So we see Titus has been has spent some time, some significant time with Paul on his missionary and his missionary work. We don't know exactly where or when or how all that meshed together, but he was well acquainted with Paul, a, a fellow servant with him. And we see here he is now left in Crete. Apparently, Paul and Titus were ministering together in Crete, and Paul left him to continue the work there. However, Titus's work here in Crete seems to be temporary. If you go over to the end of the book in uh, chapter 3, verse 13, Paul is calling Titus to come meet him in another city. And so it seems to be rather soon. They go to Nicopolis and Paul and Titus meet up again. And Paul's sending others to come to Crete and minister. Maybe they're longer-term missionaries. We don't know. But we see Titus here is in a transitional phase, in an early phase of the life of the church in Crete. He's probably not their long-term pastor. At best, he's an interim pastor. Maybe he's more of an itinerant preacher or simply an apostolic representative to help keep the order for a time. But we see in this verse four, that there is a great bond between Titus and Paul. He calls him a true child in a common faith. In this short little phrase, we see such affection for him and joy in, in the work that he's doing encouragement that Paul is receiving from him because Titus is a spiritual son, not a biological son. He says true son, but true in the, in the greatest sense, a spiritual son. 
Maybe Titus was converted under Paul's ministry. Or maybe Paul simply helped disciple him and teach him of the faith. Maybe Paul just helped him grow into pastoral ministry. We don't know, but in some ways, some way Paul was a mentor, a father to Titus. But he says he's not, he's not just a true child. It's not like Paul's looking down upon him. He's looking down with affection, but he says, my true child in a common faith. A common faith. They share together a faith in Christ. They share this faith together as equals. Though, yes, Paul is full of more wisdom and knowledge and insight that he's imparted to Titus. They are equals before Christ. They are equals sharing the common faith, that common faith that we read of earlier in Ephesians. And so he can, yes, have him as a son, but also as a brother at the same time. I think we get a glimpse of just the, the joy that this, these two shared in their relationship together. And I think here there's an application for ministers especially because these kinds of relationships are important. It is important to have these kinds of father-son relationships in ministry, to cultivate, to pass on the, the, the tools of ministry from one generation to the next. Paul here didn't spend all of his time working just with, with the churches, but he spent his time mentoring. He spent his time growing up the next generation of pastors and leaders in the church. And what a wonderful thing that is, a joyful thing for the father figure, but also a joyful thing for the son figure as well. But I'm also reminded days like yesterday where we had our presbytery meeting for all of our, our presbytery. And we had all the, the pastors and elders, all that could be there came together and we worshiped, we, we, heard, we, we worshiped together, heard a sermon, partake of the supper together. We did business together, seeking the good of the church, hearing reports of what's going on at our church plants and missionaries around the world. What a joyful time of fellowship, of, of a bond that we share in, in co-laborers in the gospel. I think this is important for ministers to have. This kind of, of camaraderie, this kind of brotherhood, as Paul and Titus have here. This is good for ministers. But this also is for all Christians all Christians and the bond that we can share with one another, the fellowship and the love and the affection, the joy that we have in our relationships with one another. We've heard it said a thousand times, but it bears repeating that you and I as, as, as Christians, we have more in common with brothers and sisters on the opposite side of the world that we've never met, that even if we did, we couldn't understand a word that they said we have more in common with them because of our common faith in Christ than we do with our own family members who don't love Christ. Our own family members who cheer for the same teams, who love the same food, who talk the same language, who we see every holiday. We have more in common with those across the world than our bond in Christ than we do even with those nearest to us that don't have that common bond with our Savior. There is a deep spiritual joy that comes from relationships with other believers. We are united by this common faith that unites us to Christ. And so this fellowship we share is a fellowship in Christ. It's not simply a fellowship of being in the, in the same city, a fellowship of being in the same social club. We are deeply united together by Christ and in Christ. 
And there's this common goal that, that unites us all together. Not just our existence, but our common goal, what we're working towards together. We're all on the same team, working for the glory of God, for the good of one another, the good of our neighborhoods. We're on the same team. And that's a glorious thing about pastors working together. They're on the same team. Pastors in our presbytery and elders, we're on the same team. All Christians in our church and our presbytery across the world, we're on the same team. Have you ever been on a sports team? Maybe you played uh, sports in high school. Maybe some of you kids are playing on sports teams and you, and you go to practice and you work hard at practice. You see your teammates three times a week. You have the games and your teammate gets down, you pull them back up, say, you got this, buddy. Let's go. And you work together, right? And you love the goal. You love what you're doing. You're, you're, you're friends and partners in arm and you grow together to love with a bond together on these teams. Oh, that's only a shadow of the kind of bond we have as Christians on the same team, working for the same thing, the glory of our God. What a fellowship that we have. What a joy it is as we serve together. It's a joyful fellowship that we all share as co-laborers for Christ and his gospel. So we see this joyful fellowship of ministry. And Paul now, in the second half of verse four, turns to look at the joyful ground of ministry. He writes grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Why do we go about Christian ministry and service? Why do we do this? What makes us want to talk about Christ with our neighbors? To go out of our way to help fellow Christians with, with a need that they have? What propels us? It's not a desire to, to puff ourselves up, to feel good about ourselves. What propels us is the fact that we have received grace and peace. Paul here is exposing the, the underlying foundational aspects of faith and salvation and the union we share with one another. It's the grace and peace that we share. This is, this is something of a benediction just to begin his letter, to remind him in Christ, you have grace and peace. But immediately as you begin to say the word grace and tease it out, you remember, I have grace only because first I'm a sinner. I wouldn't need grace if I wasn't a sinner. I wouldn't need grace if I, if I wasn't separated from my God and my creator. And so the very fact of mentioning grace reminds us of our, the fact apart from Christ, we are sinners. Apart from Christ, we are dead and it is God in his grace who has come to us to make us new, to make us righteous in his sight, to sanctify us, and to give us that hope of eternal life of what Paul has been speaking of already. It is God's grace alone, nothing earned, nothing that we have done to deserve it. This grace we sit in and we realize our whole life is due to the grace of God. Everything we have is from his grace. Paul also blesses him with peace. Peace. Peace brings the reality of the blessings of God's presence to us. It's the manifestation of, the, of grace, what it looks like in our lives. It's now peace. We have peace with God because of his grace. And peace just doesn't, doesn't just mean there's an absence of conflict, but it means it's a sense of of thriving without hindrance, of being thing, things being set the way they ought to be. 
That's the peace we now have with God. As Christ has redeemed us and restored us to a relationship with him, marked by the presence of his face smiling upon us. We sit in these realities of grace and peace, and it is only because of these realities now that we enter to do ministry, that we serve one another. How debilitating it is to think of a church plant, for example, and I think it's all up to the minister, it's all up to the church members to do it all, to be propelled by making a name for themselves, getting the brand out there, whatever it is. How debilitating that is. But when you can do ministry grounded in the grace and peace of God, that's joy. Because we realize it is God who is at work. I'm merely an ambassador. I'm merely the hands and feet of Christ, as we often will say. It is Christ who's working. God who is ordaining all things. And we are here to simply serve. Out of the abundance of the grace and peace that we have, we can now minister that grace and peace to others. He mentions this grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And I think it's worth noting here, there's so much to say, but one thing worth noting is the fact he's already used the word Savior twice. He used it in verse three, talking about God our Savior. And now he says, Christ Jesus our Savior. And he says this word, I don't, I don't remember how many times, but over and over throughout this book, And the commentators will point out that this is likely because in Crete, it was well known that the gods were all called saviors. We have a number of archaeological finds throughout Crete that show in the ancient temples, they would talk about the gods as their saviors. And so what what Paul is reminding Titus, but the entire church, is reminding them that Christians are not to believe those big letters written on the side of the pagan temple walls, but instead to look to the real Savior, the one who can actually save, the one who's more than just a lump of clay. This God who actually saves us from sin, the God who is actually alive and actually at work here and now. So it's an attack on the Cretan gods and their religious culture. So ministry is about our gracious and peace-granting God, our Father, and Christ Jesus, our Savior. What a joy it is when we sit in that, when we let grace and peace, as it were, pulse through our veins, and in light of that, move towards others and care for others, not doing it on our own. It's a joy killer to try to do ministry without grace and peace as your ground you will end up exhausted and hopeless trying to care for other people, trying to raise your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, trying to care for aging parents and how to love them well. You will be exhausted and joyless without grace and peace as your ground. So the joyful ground of ministry. And so third, we come to the joyful work of ministry in verse five. I'll read it again. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The big picture frame of Christian church ministry is always the same. No matter where you are, where in history, where you are geographically, what your culture is like, it is to proclaim the gospel, to administer the sacraments and exercise discipline and discipleship for the gathering and perfecting of the saints. That's Christian ministry everywhere. But... 
Each context for ministry has different challenges, different things that need to be attended to. And again, we think of a church plant, even ours in Kent. Their context is different from here in Hudson. They don't have elders. They have a pastor. They have, yes, a provisional session. That's our session here. But they don't have elders on the ground. So ministry there is going to look different than it does here. There's different priorities there than it is here. And that's true here as we consider Crete and their context. This Crete, you may remember or not, but Crete is an island in the south part of the Aegean Sea, part of the larger Mediterranean Sea. It's southeast of Greece, about 3,200 square miles. It's the size roughly between Delaware and Connecticut. It's not huge. It's not tiny either. Crete is an incredibly beautiful place. It's, a, it's an island, but it's a mountain. The whole island is a mountain. Uh, an entire range runs from east to west, 140 miles, 160 miles from east to west. This beautiful mountain range. Uh, here in the first century, the Roman road system hasn't completely connected the island. So it's still difficult to, to move about the island. Oftentimes you would take boats and go around the island to the various cities that were located there. Crete was a very old island, has a very old history. It's one of the earliest, if not the earliest European people groups that scholars know of. There's deeply embedded pagan polytheism. And here in the first century, it was a territory of the Roman Empire. The Christian history in Crete was very new at the time of Paul's writing this letter in the mid-60s AD. If you go back to Acts 2 at, the, at Pentecost, we have a record that Cretans were in Jerusalem at Pentecost. So we had the, that in around 33 AD, we have the first Cretans becoming believers. That wonderful day of Pentecost. Maybe they went back to Crete at that time. Maybe they didn't. We have no way of knowing. Paul passed through Crete during his imprisoned journey to Rome on the boat. It was a, uh, Crete was a, 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 a regular stopping point for ships passing east and west in the Mediterranean Sea. So Paul stopped there, but he certainly didn't have time to do ministry at that point. And so what it seems like is after Paul was released from prison, at, after the end of Acts 28, Paul ended up being released from his first imprisonment in Rome. And he went back to Crete to do ministry there. He went back with Titus to this island to take the gospel to this people. And it seems like he had to leave. And Titus was remaining for a, for a short period of time. And so the state of Crete at the time of Paul's writing this letter was that there was no leadership on the ground. There were no elders. There were no deacons. They probably didn't have pastors. They probably just had Titus who would go from town to town preaching and finding the Christians that he could. The church needed order. So the ministry here was establishing order, as it said in verse five. Titus is charged to put what remained into order. He's to make sure there's leadership among the churches. They're suffering without elders. The first order of business is to establish the eldership. And we'll talk about this more uh, next week. But he's to establish the eldership. He's to go from town to town and find those who are qualified for this office and have them elected. And he was to ordain them to this role. So there'd be order. Someone to go to if there is a problem. Who was the leadership? Who was to preserve the doctrine? 
That's what this book is speaking of later on, is how to keep the doctrine pure, the teaching of the church pure. How to ensure Christians are engaged in godly living. Or as our our oaths for membership say, to live as becomes the followers of Christ. There was nobody called to ensure these things was happening. And so the first order of business was to make sure godly leadership was appointed throughout Crete. We see this kind of ministry, but all ministry, ordained ministry, ministry of the general office of the believer, all ministry is hard. This is hard work going from town to town. It said that Crete was the the island of 100 cities. It's probably hyperbole, closer to 20 to 40 cities at this point in time. He would go around and find the Christians and appoint elders. That's difficult work. No doubt he was bumping up against old political rivalries in town to town. Who is the prominent family? Why wasn't he an elder? But so-and-so was an elder. It was difficult work he was doing, but it is joyful work. It is joyful work to set your hand to the plow and seek the glory of God, to keep this big picture in mind so that we can rest in the ruling and reigning King Jesus to make the ministry done by his people effective. No doubt, Titus was was up against a, a, a difficult challenge. But here, Paul is encouraging him to be faithful, And even in this work, it is joyful. As you see the fruit, see the Lord blessing what he's doing. I think we see Paul exuding a joy about ministry in both of these verses, in all three of these aspects of ministry. I must must confess that I think there are times in ministry that I wonder if what the work I'm doing is worthwhile. Is it doing any good? Satan begins to trick me out of my joy. He begins to tell me lies that lead to a joyless ministry. I think for all of us, that's probably the case. That service is no longer filled with joy because we turn from these three joyful aspects of ministry. It takes me to coming back to these realities, the ground of our ministry. Why are we doing it? I have received grace upon grace. I have have received eternal peace from God, our Savior. I want others to know that and experience that as well. Oh, we have fellow compatriots where we can link arms and serve together. What joy is there in that? Oh, and that the work of ministry is joyful. To see the Lord working through us. To see your children grow up, your, your children Learn the Lord's Prayer and say it with us. Little kids singing the doxology, or as your kids get older, to profess their faith. You see, as you minister to a coworker, maybe one day they come to Christ. You see the results of your ministry. You're filled with joy that the Lord has used it for his glory. Let service to others be a source of joy. We have an opportunity to do this even this coming week. It's coming Saturday. I hear we still need people to help with a move of a church member. This is an opportunity for joy and service with one another, grounded in grace, grounded in peace for Christ's honor. As we all pursue Christian ministry according to our giftings and stations, let us do it with joy. May we fight to keep that fellowship joyful, to remind ourselves that the ground is joyful. And indeed, that the work itself 
is joyful. It's because we have a gracious God who has given us these tasks and who has redeemed us out of sin and misery to let us follow him in service to one another and the world around us. Let us look to him in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would allow us to find ministry that we are all engaged in, joyful. May we find it joyful because you have granted us brothers and sisters who we serve alongside of. You've given us grace and peace. You've given us wonderful work to do. May we find that work. May we be enabled to do it for the glory of Christ. May we love our neighbors inside and outside of the church as ourselves this very week as we remember your great love for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.